0: My job down in Texas was to support local candidates across the state. And part of that was was fielding calls and making myself available. And I found that I was having the same conversation over and over with folks, that people were asking me, you know, how do I even really get started here? Which voters am I supposed to talk to? What am I supposed to say? When am I supposed to say this? How do I raise money? How much do I need to raise? Who do I raise it from? What am I supposed to say online? All of these types of questions were recurring.
1: is the founder of Campaign Brain. Like some other recent guests, he's working to employ artificial intelligence in progressive politics, in this case with a tool that uses AI to help small campaigns figure out their next best action. We had a good discussion about how he came to tackle this challenge, where his team came from, and his take on AI in campaigns more generally. So, after a quick word from my sponsor, my interview with Nate at Campaign Brain. Nate, would you mind introducing yourself and giving me a quick biography?
0: Yeah, absolutely. My name is Nate Levin, he, him, and I'm the founder and CEO of Campaign Brain. I'm originally from the Northeast and I went to college in Maine. I studied sociology and economics, and I moved to New York City back in 2015, where I was working as an early employee at an artificial intelligence startup, where I was responsible for customer acquisition and building our AI product. And during that time, the political circumstances in our country changed, and I was motivated to pivot to politics as a career and move back to Maine and worked as a grassroots organizer for the Maine Democratic Party. At that time, in 2018, after three years working in AI, which looks a little bit different than it does now, our logic was that if we flip Congress, we can move forward with the impeachment proceedings. And so I, I worked primarily on a red to blue flip of Jared Golden in Maine, too. Uh, And even just getting exposed to electoral politics, I was really enthusiastic about applications of artificial intelligence to solve some of the challenges that the campaign had experienced, particularly in organizing. On election night 2018, in addition to celebrating some major wins, which included electing Janet Mills as the first woman governor in Maine and implementing majorities in both chambers in Augusta, I was struck by uh, the news that in, in Texas, Beto had only fallen short by about 2%. And so drawn by the potential and the challenge of working in Texas, I moved down to Austin after the 2018 cycle and started working for the Texas Democratic Party. Uh, My first task there was to build a four-month-long training academy to deepen the bench of political staffers to offset the brain drain that had characterized uh, the preceding decades. And I spent much of the cycle then traveling the state working with local county parties, candidates, staff and volunteers to build our movement across Texas. And after helping to execute the Biden campaign's Texas GOTV plan, I stayed on with the Texas Dems through the 2021 municipals and had the chance to work with hundreds of local campaigns across the state. Most recently, I studied technology and strengthened my programming skills during my Master's of Public Administration at Columbia School of International and Public Affairs, while working in communications to support Mark Kelly's re-election campaign in Arizona. And now I'm working to intersect the potential of artificial intelligence with many of the challenges that I observed firsthand while working with campaigns and candidates. And I'm particularly focused on supporting under-resourced local progressive campaigns.
1: How much did you prepared that? Because that was an unusually orderly summary of someone's path.
0: Yeah. You know, I think being as clear as I can is what I want to achieve here. I don't know if we were still on the record there or not, but I I did prepare.
1: (laughs) I'm just teasing you a bit. Good job on that. I want to push a little bit harder on some of the steps there and and understand a little bit where you're coming from. Just tell me a little about your family. What kind of household did you come from and what was the role of politics in that?
0: So as I mentioned, originally from the Northeast, spent a lot of time both in Massachusetts as well as Maine. And I think for me and sort of my political background um, in, a, and awakening um, is that, is that I, I come from a progressive family, both from a standpoint of, of equality and sort of everyone having a, a fair shake at things. And the reality is I, I have a lot of privilege from the background that, that I come from, and, and I don't observe that with everyone that's in our country. I heard a really impactful, actually, graduation speech from Brian Stevenson, who works at the Equal Justice, Justice Institute. Brian Stevenson spoke about getting proximate to the issues that you want to change in the system. And for me, that has sort of been a, a guiding ethos in how I want to engage with our system as a whole. I want to be working hand in hand with the people who are doing the work. I want to be someone who who is doing the work uh, that is challenging and that is bringing people into our, our space. And, and so for me, that's kind of been my um, approach is, is put myself out there in a way where I can hopefully make my efforts as impactful as possible, and be able to make a difference on the ground.
1: Was that the graduation speech at Bates?
0: It was, exactly, yes, I'm a Bates graduate.
1: Tell me about being an undergrad there, how was it? I mean, it has obviously the reputation of being a great school. What was it like for you in particular?
0: Bates is a, it's a fascinating place. It's certainly not representative, I think, of the world or, or landscape writ large. Uh, but it was an opportunity. I studied both economics and sociology. I'm, I'm particularly interested in, in sociology and the way in which power is um, sort of displayed and, and interacted within our society. And and, and economics, frankly, was to in, ensure that I would have strong employment opportunities after college. And so being able to to be at Bates and be in some smaller classes, and, and particularly on the sociology side, I think exposed me to a lot of sort of the barriers and injustices that, that I maybe hadn't seen growing up in the suburbs of, of Boston. And I feel like between sociology and the way that we sort of look at power and interaction there is is very different than economics. And so sort of seeing these two viewpoints, I think, has, has given me some of the tools to work in communities more effectively related to campaigns and, and empowering folks, making the difference in general.
1: Did you take any tech classes, computer science or... Things related to your more current interest in AI and stuff like that?
0: No, not at Bates. I did not. Um, I, I started to work in artificial intelligence as an intern in 2015. Um, I worked for a firm called Fuse Machines. I got connected to them through a Bates graduate. I was a business analyst intern trying to figure out, OK, how do we take these question answering systems that we are uh, that we're developing and, and sort of how do we ha- have a broader um, rollout. And at that point, Bates did not have any sort of computer science classes. I think they now have a digital and computational studies minor, and I've been able to, to talk with them a little bit about uh, how to improve that. And so most of my sort of academic training on the computer science side came from my, my time at SEPA at, at the School of International and Public Affairs.
1: Tell me about Fuse Machines. What was going on there and what did you learn? Fuse Machines
0: is a, a really interesting company that essentially provides companies teams of software engineers to build enterprise AI solutions. And maybe they're working on a company developing a computer vision project that can allow them to use what the computer sees to translate that into data that is actionable. During my time at Fuse Machines, we focused on a few things. So we were working on question answering systems, which were really the earlier versions of what you might see in ChatGPT, but a much narrower focus. One of our early clients was the city of New York, and we were on their business website offering a question-answering system to work with small business leaders. So we did that. We had an end-to-end lead generation system, which uh, essentially used LinkedIn to help businesses generate leads and then reached out to those folks through cold email to set up meetings. And then we had another project, that focused on creating an autonomous drone to deliver medical supplies to rural communities in mountainous terrain and less developed countries. And so the Fuse Machines has its hands in in a lot of different subfields within AI. And they're led by Samir Maskey, who's a Bates graduate, as I mentioned. And He's worked in the AI space for about 20 years. And most of his training is particularly in the language space, in natural language processing. So he had worked on Watson, And really had a a language background, which is what had led us to originally get involved in those question answering systems, which were really interesting. and, And of course, a lot less developed eight years ago than what we're seeing available now.
1: When I was younger and the internet was turning into a thing that the world was grappling with, trying to figure out, is this a revolution? There were people who were running ahead of that and saying, yes, it is, and It's going to transform the economy. There are people making investments. It feels to me like there's an AI revolution underway and that there's very little, uh, at least that can be handled by a computer now that won't be affected by this kind of new technology and its application. Does it feel like that to you from somewhat shorter perspective in tech, but being in the middle of it?
0: I, I think definitely. I think even for myself, over these eight years working in artificial intelligence, the new solutions that have already come to be accessible from a usability and price standpoint have come such a long way, and sort of the the level of difficulty of challenges that we're able to solve is is growing. You know, by the day, by the week, and and so I, I do think that we are are headed into really a new a new world in which many of the ways in which we've done things over previous decades will look different. A couple key things to note there is that I, I do think sort of the AI revolution has really already been underway when we look at some of the things in which that we that we interact with daily some of Google' search and, and how effective it is, that's of course using artificial intelligence to do that or if I'm on Netflix and I'm looking at my recommendations, they're using artificial intelligence to make that so effective. And, and so we're already seeing some of these things that have become sort of normalized. And now, when we talk about some of those other subfields, and I think in, in politics, we're really excited about generative AI. And I would push us, particularly on the left, to think more broadly about maybe what the long term future looks like for campaigns. But there's so many subfields that I believe we'll be able to apply solutions in a ton of different ways that will help campaigns and, and, and also change how we do a lot of things in, in life.
1: I mean, some of the examples that you give, like Netflix recommendations and so on, I'm not clear what the boundary is for you or for other people about what is artificial intelligence. What's just sort of smart algorithmic programming or some kind of machine learning using a lot of data that's out there. What for you is the intelligence? When does a computer program go from using data, using statistics, using whatever technique to intelligent and intelligent the way we are intelligent?
0: Yeah, he- heck of a question. And and I think it's one that we have to continue to, to grapple with. I mean, if we look at sort of the, the history of AI going all the way back to the 1950s, we're talking about sort of replicating what humans can do logically and, and from a problem solving perspective and, and applying that to machine. So sort of in in that classical definition, I I definitely think we've achieved that through things like Google and Netflix. Now, when we look at ChatGPT, which is focused specifically in generative, for me, I think that's a really effective um, sort of proxy for that artificial general intelligence, more of like kind of the Jetsons type image that we might have in our mind where it can sort of do everything. Personally, I don't believe that ChatGPT is general intelligence. It's not really problem solving in that way other than stringing text together. So I think we have a while to go till that. That said, I I, I think that we as in the political space are not going to be leading the the charge on that, right? Something like ChatGPT and OpenAI, they invested $500 million last year to create that tool. And so we will sort of be responding to some of the private sector solutions and, and having to apply them.
1: So you start this internship It seems to have become a a real interest for you. And that's often the way careers develop, right? You're introduced to something and you dig deeper. And almost anything that you dig deeper into becomes more and more interesting. But what was it about this use of AI at this one firm that made you want to keep going in that direction and maybe apply it to politics, which you had an interest in, I take it?
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I think really what was sort of the awakening for me was was going into an industry like a democratic campaign in in twenty eighteen, and seeing firsthand as as an organizer in, in my case at that point that there are a lot of things that that we're doing that I've already been exposed to solutions. Maybe they're applied to a different industry or space or set of data. But we're struggling with challenges or problems that I've observed a solution to applied in a a specific way. And then when we talk about, at the core, how campaigns are are impacting people's lives and so feeling compelled to try and bring those things together, if we can do this in a a meaningful way, there's almost a a need from my end to to feel like, hey, how can we bring these solutions into an area of such need?
1: I think it's a really good indication that there might be a business somewhere when you see what you perceive to be a need. You can make something better. You can make it more efficient. You can improve processes. Maybe you can improve results, right? For people who haven't worked for a couple Democratic parties and done some of this organizing, or maybe people who have, tell me a little bit about what are the things that you specifically observed that you're like, God, can't believe we're doing it this way. I know there's a better way.
0: Yeah. So at first, as I mentioned, my efforts in 2018 were organizing focused and I was doing things um, that that many an organizer are going to be doing. They're going to be cutting turf. They're going to be recruiting volunteers. They're going to be talking to voters and seeing, okay, there's probably some ways to increase the efficiency of, of some of these Challenges and and when I transitioned down to, to Texas, I expanded my horizons from just organizing to working with uh, primarily local campaigns in a training role, but campaigns up and down the ballot. And so the types of problems and challenges for our more down ballot or under resourced campaigns are really different than than those at the top. And I think those who are less exposed to the campaign world, what we might perceive as a campaign, might really be what the Biden or A Senate campaign looks like, but not what thousands of local campaigns look like. And and so my job down in Texas was to support local candidates across the state. And part of that was was fielding calls and making myself available. And I found that I was having the same conversation over and over with folks that people were asking me, you know, how do I even really get started here? Which voters do I know? Which one am I supposed to talk to? What am I supposed to say? When am I supposed to say this? How do I raise money? How much do I need to raise? Who do I raise it from? What am I supposed to say online? All of these types of questions were recurring. And the challenge was for me to internalize the data, the information related to this person's campaign and give valuable answers. I only had so many folks that I could support. And for those who maybe don't know as much about state parties, the Texas Democratic Party is doing some great work. And the reality is it's also resource scarce. And there are tens of thousands of of folks across Texas and our political team, our training team could not support those. And so finding a way to provide those answers at scale, um, which we, I think, achieved in some ways through a couple training initiatives. We trained several thousand uh, deputy voter registrars. But in terms of giving hands-on day-to-day support, we simply couldn't do that at scale and, and answer those types of questions in a way that gave actionable next steps for these campaigns to take.
1: When you're talking about small campaigns or campaigns where the candidate is the staff, essentially, a lot of times, I assume they vary quite a bit in their political knowledge. And some of those candidates would have experience working for some campaigns and have learned the motions that you go through. Maybe they know you typically get a voter list and make yard signs and make calls and have fundraisers and do all the kind of basic things to reach out, send direct mail if you have some money, put up a website. Some, I assume, are even well short of that. There's tons of resources for them already, right? There's Democratic Training institutes. There's emerge for training women candidates or Emily's List, state senate, state house, and up. But are you aiming at the 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 super not knowledgeable candidate and team? Is that where your first swing at this is? What's your audience?
0: Yeah, I, I think generally we're talking about trying to remove those knowledge barriers and, and associated financial barriers that that can make. Running challenging. And when we are designing here, we're designing with a campaign of, of zero or, or very few uh, paid staff on, on hand. And so, what we're trying to replicate here is on a larger campaign, a campaign manager is going to have sort of daily tasks that they're working on. A fundraising director is, communications director, a data director. How can we replicate each of those tasks that, that might be done on a much better funded campaign? and apply at least a meaningful investment of, of effort and, and strategy to those and then provide that to that local candidate in a way that's easy to use and that empowers them to, to be able to talk to more voters, to be able to raise more money, and ultimately to run a, a more robust campaign.
1: I used to go read 1980s issues of Campaigns and Elections magazine, and they would even have stories about early microcomputers like Apples and Ataris and stuff being used by someone to manage a list. Uh, There were companies that every decade, every cycle come up to kind of pull together information into software, into some kind of package and try to sell that as a campaign in a box. That's been like a term used for a long time. And there are political campaign software companies For big campaigns, you might have lots of different pieces of software, but nobody has ever successfully made an information package that was a successful business, that you could both provide kind of basic information, a knowledge base to people who really can't pay for it or don't want to pay for it. How have you thought about the business aspect of delivering this kind of information, this kind of expertise, and where are you on that?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In terms of our our aim as an enterprise, our goal is first and foremost to support the progressive movement as a whole by providing technology that focuses on local campaigns and makes as big of an impact on elections and improving lives as possible. That from the work that I've done on the ground across the country is what I believe to be a a critical need. And so for us to do that and maximize that impact, we feel strongly that we need to continue to scale over time and push towards profitability, which we feel well-positioned to do so. And our conversations both inside the industry and outside back that up. And that was one of the major reasons that we were selected as a winner of the 2023 Columbia Public Policy Challenge Grant We outlined our potential to grow and scale. And that's why we are backed by a New York based artificial intelligence firm that's made an investment in Campaign Brain to make it possible for us to build this product.
1: Is that the firm that you worked for already? Yes. Yes. And clearly you've made a good relationship there. How much have they backed you with?
0: They've backed us in a position where we feel like we can build a a product that is super valuable to local campaigns. And we're rolling out our, our first version to a select group of progressive candidates for the November 2023 municipals, our minimum viable product in the coming weeks. And and then we'll be able to continue to roll out our beta product in time for the March primaries and spring local elections, and continue to develop all the way through 2024, and our runway extends beyond that.
1: Are they the developers of your product?
0: They are, I'm leading the development team.
1: That internship has really turned into a huge stepping stone towards building this enterprise. Samir that you mentioned, is he the co-founder of what you're building now of Campaign Brain?
0: I'm the sole founder. Samir is is on our board of directors and and is a leader in shaping our product efforts and shaping everything that we are doing, but I'm I'm the sole founder and and CEO.
1: Have you hired any of a team yet or is it all you?
0: It's all me and and my my team of developers.
1: Nothing wrong with that, that's what I did. I mean, I, I started a campaign software company a long time ago and it was just me for two and a half years. Although I was also my own developer, which I went pretty slowly probably because of that. But tell me about what you've learned so far from idea to starting to build something to starting to try to get it out there into the world. What are the milestones? What's been happening?
0: Really, the origin here is, uh, you know, as soon as we stopped celebrating in 2018 in in Maine and I looked at next steps, I, I was eager to apply AI solutions to the political space. And so I started making calls to leaders in, in Maine and, and, and other folks in, in AI and started to say, look, you know, I think we've narrowed in on some opportunities in, in organizing. And, and as I talked to more folks, there was unfortunately a, a feeling of there's a lot more to campaigns than, than organizing and it might be difficult to, to generate the investment you need to, to, to do this. And so as I refocused on politics in 2020, feeling like I needed to get Trump out of office was my, my driving motive, I was sort of coming at it, the whole work that I was doing with, okay, how can we ultimately solve some challenge here, some problem with, with AI? And so what the, real, what the product has looked like you know, has changed shape dramatically, of course, during those five years. And then over the past... Full year as we've moved into more full time operations and, and begun developing, we talked to hundreds of folks in, in a discovery phase and tried to really hone in look okay, at what are the pain points for these folks. My work had allowed me to support local candidates and, and run trainings um, and really get proximate to the work, but then being able to have that explicit conversation of hey, what are the pain points? What do we need to solve? And, and I think what we're rolling out in our MVP, which helps folks identify which voters they need to talk to. It's sort of a next best action recommendation engine. So a candidate will log in and be prompted to execute daily tasks related to digital communication. So we're using generative AI to suggest content for social media as well as email for fundraising and volunteers, that kind of thing. We are recommending which voters we believe are the most critical to build your persuasion universe and GOTV universe. We're then applying those into daily action items where we're providing cut canvas maps using optimized routes so with one click of a button a candidate can log in and know hey this is the first person that i need to talk to today and here's their address or these are the folks that i need to be calling today or these are the donors that i need to be working with in in call time and so that's our major focus during our first version here is to give targeted actions that the campaign can take every day from now through election day to build a successful campaign and we're excited to, to continue to add on more features, which I think will allow us to solve more complex problems, service larger campaigns, and do it more effectively as we go.
1: It sounds like to pull that together, you probably needed some to make some partnerships, voter lists, financial information about donors, things like that. Where have you found the pieces that you needed to pull together along with building your own stuff?
0: There's a lot of folks in our ecosystem who want to make make a difference and and support organizations um, like ours. And so we've had great conversations with folks at at Catalyst and and we're working with them to uh, continue a partnership that we're excited about as we hopefully scale next year and can make our product available to many more campaigns.
1: So are you using their voter lists right now?
0: We're working on optimizing the integration. Yeah.
1: Will you use other people's also or you've kind of fixed on them as the solution?
0: The way that we've set up our product, candidates can either upload their voter file directly if they've gotten that from another party and when we're exploring other integrations that that we want to focus on in the medium and longer term. So really the option is that campaigns can either upload their voter file and then we will apply our logic on top of that or they can work with us to, to get it from Catalyst.
1: So it wouldn't be like automatically there loaded at this point, it would be like sign up, and get it loaded and take a couple steps to, in an MVP.
0: In an MVP, exactly. And I think our our motive there was that we want to really keep it as low cost as possible. And so if folks already have that voter file, we want to save them, whether that's 30 bucks or a couple hundred bucks or more, we want to save them that money if they've already made that investment. And so we're making that an option. And I think that's a real Example of as we get users and get feedback, how we continue to best meet needs, and um, in, in how folks are working with that.
1: A lot of folks who are in the political software space think of this as sort of the long tail of the market, right? The small campaigns. There are other enterprises that are targeting that with political campaign software. I'm certain you've run into them. Some of them are also Higher Ground Labs supported. I've talked to like Universe. I I know Civitech is going to have an offering in that space and there's others. How do you see what you're doing being similar or different to what is out there? And how do you think about the competition?
0: Yeah, I think in in terms of sort of the competition, the biggest thing that defines our ecosystem of, of progressive technology firms is There's a scarcity of resources invested, especially when we look at other similar-sized or or growing industries. And uh, when I worked as a fellow at the U.S. Treasury, working on uh, researching and targeting climate investments around the world to divest from fossil fuel reliance, our consistent focus was on the way in which capital was needed to drive the outcomes we wanted. And I think we have something similar happening here. All of the firms you've mentioned are doing great work And are doing everything that we can to attract and and retain capital in this space. And in the longer term, the more capital invested in this space will lead to greater innovation, better meeting the needs of the electoral progressive community and more effective technology. And so I look at everyone in the space as an ally working on the same team. And we're excited to jump into that and join in by bringing more capital into the space and hopefully innovate to the benefit of progressive companies and ultimately improve the lives of folks across our community. And I think in particular, We come at it from a perspective of having a dedicated background in artificial intelligence product for eight years on on my side and and in the case of Dr. Maskey, 20 years. And and so trying to understand how we can bring some more of those solutions uh, into the space. We're excited about the ability to provide low marginal cost services, which can allow us to reach some of these lower budget campaigns.
1: When you were talking about training and the delivery of the information about how to run a campaign. I was thinking your offering was more around how to, things people could read or ask questions of some engine. But when you described it, it seemed much more about this next most optimal action. And uh, those are different things, does this sit alongside of a data management tool? Are you in the AI sort of information, like a helper, someone who's playing the role of campaign manager and other staffers that you mentioned to to make you smarter in campaigning? Or are you aiming at the tools wrapped in AI, but informing much more what you're doing? Like how, how would we think about how you fit in along that continuum, if that makes sense.
0: What you said there in the, in the second part—that we're looking to wrap a lot of the tools that campaigns use in AI in modern applications of AI—and then targeting that with a very narrow focus on solving for local campaigns—that we believe because there are hundreds of thousands of these, uh, the opportunity to provide a low marginal cost option to them that sort of revolutionizes some of the tools and. You know, I don't think our, our plan is to be the best fundraising tool, the best digital marketing tool necessarily, but solve specifically for these local campaigns in a way that they, that they don't have right now by improving on all of the features, or at least some of the features that are, that are out there already.
1: What are you seeing outside of your company in terms of the application of AI to political campaigning? Who else is taking a swing at this? That you're observing. I
0: don't expect political campaigns to be sort of leading the way in AI development. It's just such a, a capital-intensive space.
1: I mean, more the applying of of the AI tools that are commercial or open source or whatever. What do you see in the application of AI to? Yeah, yeah. I, I think the, yeah. the biggest question
0: coming down the pike for for campaigns and and for the left here um, related to AI and campaigns is how we want to do voter contact when machines are as effective at voter contact over the phone as volunteers are. I've come across a tool recently, which they claim to be able to offer an army of cold callers uh, and make thousands of, of cold calls at once and then execute sales conversations. And I think it's not super difficult to see how a campaign might be interested in that. If they could reach out to maybe all of the potential voters or, or volunteers. It's and,
1: basically like a smarter robocall.
0: It's exactly like a smarter robocall. It is exactly that. And, and, and so we've set out guidelines on, on our website, campaignbrain.ai, of what we're committed to. And that includes not misleading voters. And, and so we're not interested in pushing a solution like that on a campaign that said, As much as I I don't so much expect it to be at play in 2023, it it could be in 2024, but almost certainly it will be a factor in 2026 and 2028. And so I think that is really the the biggest impending question for campaigns on, is that something that we're going to be okay with? Is that something that if the other side does, we feel that we need to respond with Um, and, and, um, That, I think, opens some pretty interesting questions on how we're going to engage with with voters and, and folks in our community.
1: When I've talked to some of my friends about AI, some folks say they are excited, you know, like what human potential is going to be elevated by new tools to do things better, to take away tedious work and to make life better on the planet using artificial intelligence and, and applying it to all kinds of realms, other people are kind of scared. They see, oh, we can hook this up to drones and shoot people and have robots that kill you and develop poisons. Like any technology, AI could be applied to good things or to bad things. What's your general take on it, right? Like it's, it doesn't seem terribly controllable. Once it's out there in open source form or you have you know, not great countries employing this in warfare or something. Do you think about these big implications or do you just keep your head down and and focus on the area that you're tackling? How How are you thinking about it?
0: Yeah, I think for us. The work that I've done in my career has, has made me feel so compelled to support these local races and, and feel that we're solving a need here that that that, that really is is my focus. And there's going to be folks, for example, those in D.C., whether they're from OpenAI or, or Google or Anthropic, uh, who, who are leading the conversation. I think there's some really interesting regulatory challenges ahead in, in our space, even if we as political consultants don't necessarily advocate for this or or even if there are voluntary commitments or or greater if you go on tiktok or youtube now you can watch an ai generated joe biden versus donald trump debate however we regulate that there's going to be folks who can put those out and make millions of impressions on voters and so i think those things are are challenging in terms of a, a more macro perspective i think it's it's important that we bear in mind our relative position around the world. And, and I think AI has massive potential in education. that that is an opportunity to provide individualized or even access to materials for billions of people around the world who, who otherwise wouldn't have access to that information and, and that education. For me, that's a really encouraging development that, that folks can access um, those kind of technologies. Now I, I don't have a crystal ball, and so you know I can't say, Fifty years from now, X thing won't have happened, or that there weren't you know negative aspects of AI. But I think there's a lot to be excited about, particularly in in, in places like education and in solving relatively niche problems like we're talking about here on campaigns.
1: If someone in listening to this interview is still seeking a little bit of clarity about what they would get if they subscribe to campaign brain and brought it into their campaign and tried to use it. Could you kind of flesh out what would they see? What could they do? What's the interface look like for someone who who hasn't had a chance to see a demo of it or whatever? How would it help?
0: Totally, totally. So essentially, as I mentioned, campaign brain is a next best action recommendation engine helping candidates take advantage of the time that they have. And we're providing candidates daily action items to build a successful and efficient campaign. So I think as you described it, it is a bit of a modernized campaign in a box in a way that is designed to provide every candidate with its own intelligent 24-7 dedicated consultant. So in particular, Campaign Brain reviews the voter file in the candidate district to identify top priority voters and donor prospects to engage and identifies when during the campaign cycle we should be engaging these folks. Then we use an AI-powered recommendation engine to recommend optimized daily actions for the campaign to take. We build route-optimized canvas maps and voter contact and fundraising call lists and integrate these directly into our calling and canvassing tools to maximize ease of data management and improve the recommendations with additional data. In the MVP, we're also using generative AI to provide personalized Twitter, Facebook, and email fundraising content daily to build momentum online. And in the longer term, stay tuned on exactly what we will be rolling out here over the next 12 to 16 months. But our goal is to intelligently automate a lot of the problem solving that an expensive consultant might be able to do for a much larger campaign. And make this knowledge accessible. So, really, what this looks like is when a candidate goes to our platform from campaignbrain.ai, you'll be prompted to share some information about your campaign. Some basic things to start, like what you are running for, when the election is, um, and a little bit of your background, why you are running, what some of your strengths are, these kind of things. Then we ask the candidate to do a little bit more setup. And to do things such as update their or, uh, excuse me, upload their voter file if they have that or essentially flag for us if they don't, we start to work with them to do some brainstorming on on sort of Rolodexing. So identifying who some of the donors might be in their community. And then from there, when the candidate logs in, Campaign Brain says, today, these are the things you need to focus on. And an example might be 48 days from the election, we're going to suggest a tweet that is about this day in history. And then we're going to suggest an email to your supporters who we prompted you to include during that Rolodexing. And that email might say a little bit about the timeline until the election and how to support the campaign financially. Then campaign brain will say, okay, great. You've approved these posts. Awesome. Now let's get into the sort of nitty gritty. In order for you to stay on track of your goals to work towards a vote goal, you're gonna need to knock 25 doors today. Bang, here's number one, here's that optimized route to move through. And then once you finish that, you've got an hour left of your day, and we want you to spend that on call time. And here's the folks to reach out to as potential donors that we've identified might be likely to support your campaign.
1: How can you know that the recommendations that are coming out of this are good ones?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's gonna be part of our evaluation process over the coming months. We believe that we're following best practices of if you go through a a training and you build out a campaign plan, we're applying a lot of those rules and and logic to plan ahead and and give accurate suggestions. Um, And part of our hope is that we'll be able to optimize those as we go. But we're making sure that we're suggesting that candidates are doing more than enough work to achieve their voter contact and fundraising goals.
1: So there's the the basics, sort of the blocking and tackling of campaigning that which is what you're referring to, it feels like a good campaign could be distinguished from a great campaign by some element of like ingenuity, right? Repositioning, attention getting, something that involves a kind of a thought process that I don't think AI is currently very good at, right? That's very human, that involves kind of the knowledge that you have in something very individual and a spark that might come from a particular campaigner. Do we run the risk if people are using something like this, that campaigns all look alike and that they're all kind of grinding away at call time and canvassing so that it's very tactical, but it's not really thinking strategically and finding a way to break through? How do you think about that?
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I know. I think you've identified what some of our longer term visions and aspirations look like. And and so um, I think as some of these solutions become better, that that we look to in- include some of that sort of logic and, and and allow room for strategizing, I think as well, the, the sort of bread and butter of the campaign training side of me says that We must continue doing voter contact and that's going to benefit our candidates up and down the ballot. And I think part of it is that if we can support having more of those contacts, support bringing that data back into our systems, that that's going to benefit us. You're absolutely right. There are limitations in what we're working to advise on and and suggest and in in how we're, we're managing. And we're excited to hopefully continue to improve that in the months and years to come
1: you talked about best practices, there's also a great deal of work in the analytics world about what kind of techniques work well, what kinds of voter contact, what kinds of messages. There's a lot of message testing and and firms that can help you A, B test or much beyond that, what works or not. To what extent are you aiming to incorporate that kind of very specific scientific work on campaigning into what you do.
0: Really, that was the majority of what I studied in my master's over the previous two years was was turning some of the the research and, and science into actions that that campaigns can take. And I think when we talk about growing our our organization and, and where we're headed and where future investments in staff would be. I think that that's a, a critical place that we would ensure we're, we're investing in and making sure we have folks leading those studies um, as part of our team and making sure that we're using the most sort of modern and effective approaches.
1: Where do you go for information about what campaign moves make the most sense? Where do you go to learn about that sort of thing?
0: I've got a big um, library of books and, and obviously we're we're staying on top of, of campaigns and and elections, but for me, I really like Analysis Group. I think that they've done a lot of great work over the years in um, in updating voter contact.
1: Analyst Institute is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. You said a big library of books. Is there one in particular that sticks in your mind as a useful one?
0: Yeah, the Green and Gerber Get Out the Vote. I've enjoyed uh, multiple editions of theirs, and I think that the way that they uh, bring together many of the studies that that have, have occurred and and sort of synthesize those and allow more ease of comparison between tactics, I think it has informed part of what we're doing.
1: Tell me about this as a business. How are you going to charge for what you do? What's the business model and what kind of feedback are you getting on that so far?
0: Yeah. So in in terms of our business model, our model is focused on providing our service to hopefully a, a ton of candidates campaigns throughout the year, which I think differentiates us from Maybe some firms that sell to just larger campaigns and at a low price point that is accessible to what we believe is a market of tens of thousands of campaigns out there. As I mentioned, right now we're rolling out that first version of our product and we're making that for free to our first cohort of, of users. And then starting in January, ahead of those March primaries and spring elections, we'll be charging at a, at a low rate. And we're hoping to start our pricing as low as $100 per month which we believe can be attainable for campaigns and, and from the conversations that we've had with folks, they believe that they're going to be getting that, that value. And so we'll be charging on a monthly basis. And um, in the longer term, as we've once we've worked with campaigns and improved our product and refined the value, we're looking for partners who work in endorsement organizations, party infrastructure, training to help us roll it out more broadly in 2024 and beyond. And from a business perspective, that will allow us to dramatically cut our customer acquisition costs and increase our lifetime value of customers. So that's all to say, we're excited to jump into the progressive tech ecosystem and and want to work with folks who are solving similar problems um, and and excited to continue to uh, make our demos available. And and I think hopefully as we can roll out our MVP and, and our beta into 2024, as folks can start to get their hands on, they can get a better feel for how we're looking to support an ecosystem.
1: How are you paying for your time and for developer time? They take a a piece of the business to build for you or have you raised money to pay for that? Or, you know, what's the financial status at this point?
0: Yeah. So Fuse Machines has made an investment uh, that allows us to work with that development team for 18 months. So we've done that through equity fundraising.
1: Seems smart. Have you raised money for yourself to to take a salary while you're doing this?
0: Uh, I'm just grinding as hard as I can to solve this problem. Full well time.
1: Yeah. Are you still in a fundraising mode? Will you hire? What what's the plan to build out a a team over time?
0: Yeah, you know, as I said, our, our North Star is to maximize our impact for the space. And so if, if fundraising sooner allows us to scale and reach more folks sooner, then then we're interested in that. The fundraising that that I mentioned that we've done through equity allows us a runway beyond the 2024 election. So we're not in a position where we need to fundraise imminently uh, necessarily, and and want to take advantage of the development value over these next 16 months before we compromise our position in the longer term. That said, we're we're open to uh, fundraising opportunities, and if it's going to help us better support the ecosystem, then then we want to do it.
1: Using that. That north star that you've mentioned does that keep your door open to combination with another firm? If one of the other folks that's tackling the long tail of the political campaign market says, "Hey, can we acquire you and use your expertise in in AI as part of building out our larger product?" Would you be open to that?
0: Yeah, like, like I said, I'm, I'm I'm here to support the the industry. I, I saw firsthand that these folks really can use support and I think solutions can be created to work with them. So so absolutely, I think we're open to partnerships. We're open to working closer with folks um, to align and ultimately just excited to be able to bring capital into this space and, and bring an expertise personally of campaigns and artificial intelligence and try to support progressive campaigns that way.
1: If you were looking way out into the future, what would get you the most excited if you had accomplished this particular aspect of bringing something to the space beyond what you've articulated?
0: Yeah, I think a really interesting specific application of our technology would be to identify those key districts, in, I'm going to use an example of Texas, that are going to determine if Republicans maintain the statehouse in 2030 or, or not. And I think that's the trend we're on. I apologize my Texans if that hurts. And identifying those districts now and saying, okay, how can we equip every single person that we're aligned with on a local level, running local campaigns from 2023 through 2030 with these tools that will allow them to organize their communities, bring more folks in as we add more features, be able to do things like register voters in these places and build progressive success. I would love to be able to contest more races across the country I saw a number that 79% of local elections are uncontested, and we've seen turnout declining in recent decades on local elections. Beyond just from a progressive perspective, but from a democratic lowercase d perspective, bringing more folks into our processes is is bound to strengthen our democracy. And, and for me, I think in this time where our democracy has been under attack and in peril at minimum for, for seven years, but but certainly for longer than that, being able to prevent an authoritarian right-wing takeover is, is why I'm in the game, and I think we can do that by supporting the local level.
1: It's super hard to take a new technology and get it adopted in this space, probably in any space, but in this space in particular is a little disorderly, awful lot of players and existing interests, and, you know, just change is hard. What do you think would make it easier that isn't out there? Like if you were going to wave your wand and improve the ecosystem to allow the best new tools and techniques and companies to rise up and and be used on a fast timeline, is there anything that you see would be helpful that isn't out there?
0: What I see is so much potential and opportunity for our state parties. To have a bigger impact. Certainly, that's informed by my experience at the Maine Democratic Party and at the Texas Democratic Party. But I think our, our local leaders and, and activists and, and candidates look to these state parties to offer these solutions and to make them aware and to make them available and usable and implementable. And our state parties are resource scarce across the board and and, and are not, I think, always able to meet the needs of our communities across the country. And If I could wave my magic wand, it would be to have robust resources at our state parties, which would allow them to extend their reach into county parties more effectively and be able to better support folks on the ground running campaigns.
1: I've talked to some of the tech people on this podcast out of the the Texas Democratic Party over time. And my sense was, even though they had some of the better people doing that among state parties in the country, that, that it still was a limited number of tools that they had the bandwidth to learn, pay for, adopt, even in a state party for a big state like Texas. Do you think that there's a very high likelihood of what you want happening out of state parties?
0: I'm not sure. I definitely agree that Texas Democrats have had a lot of talented uh, folks in tech, Lauren Pulley, Hudson Kavanaugh, and Cliff Walker and Manny Garcia were amazing leaders for us. I, I don't know if that is necessarily super likely, but I do feel like from my work in, in training with county parties and, and local candidates that that wasn't a need that was, was being met. And I see the state party as one way to meet that need.
1: Is there a question that I should have asked you that I failed to?
0: No, I think we've hit on a bunch of of really interesting conversations around where we're headed with AI in politics. And the one thing that I would offer further there, which I mentioned very briefly earlier, would just be for our space to consider AI as a bit broader than generative. I think we're really enthusiastic right now about that. And of course, ChatGPT being sort of a a major moment in people understanding and, and having access to some of these tools, I think, is, is informing that. But but let's ensure that we have a longer term vision on what some of the other subfields in artificial intelligence are working on and how ultimately those might come into play in campaigns, not necessarily in 2024 as much, but down the road.
1: Well, Nate, it's fun to talk to you. I'm glad to see that you're applying your talents to something important in this space. And I, and I wish you a lot of luck. Anything else you want to say?
0: Thank you so much for having me. If you heard anything today that that's interesting, check us out, campaignbrain.ai. Don't hesitate to uh, reach out. I'm Nate, N-A-T-E, at campaignbrain.ai and excited to, to chat with um, anyone who might be interested in learning more. And uh, thank you so much, Nathaniel, for having me today.
1: Thank you. That was Nate Levin. Nate, is at. That-